This morning we are going to look at a passage of scripture that may be familiar to us, it may be unfamiliar to us. 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'll give you a minute as you are at home to flip through and look there. <laughs> First Samuel 25, we are looking at the story of David, Nabal, and Abigail. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my young men, since we have come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at him. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. All the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five says of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. When she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it has been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one male of all who belong to him. 
when Abigail saw David. She quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though, someone, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the God, by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has done my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel... My master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been, left, would, been, would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so she told him nothing until daybreak. When in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, Here is your maidservant, ready to serve you and wash the feet of my master's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and, attended by her five maids, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who is from Galam. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we read this passage this morning, and it was a long passage, a long chapter, we read a story 
that quite simply shows life. It doesn't show a great hero. It doesn't show a, uh, a horrible antagonist. Rather, it shows that even heroes have faults. Even enemies have wise advisors at times. It's not cut and dry, black and white, like wonderful stories in books or in movies. When you hear of a dashing hero that comes in to save the damsel in distress from an evil tyrant. No, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. We know that life is not that easy. It's rarely that simple. See, our story today shows that even in life, when things seem messy, when, when the story seems muddled, when life doesn't seem to be going the right way, God still provides. God's will is still done. And even in the problems of life, God's will will still break through. As we look at our passage this morning as it begins, Samuel has passed. Samuel dies, Israel assembled and mourns for him, and they bury him in his hometown, the town of Ramah. He is the last of the judges. Samuel is the one who anointed Saul, the first king of Israel. He is the one who, even when Saul was king, he still served as prophet and priest. He was the one that offered sacrifice before battle. In fact, that's where the conflict started with Saul, when Saul uh, started offering sacrifices without Samuel there. That was not his job as king, and yet he usurps the jobs of prophet and priest from Samuel. And as this whole thing comes to a head and Samuel passes away, David moves from around En Gedi, which is where in chapter 24, David spares the life of Saul. Instead, he moves down to the desert of Paran, uh, near Maon. Uh, there's a little footnote in your Bibles. Maybe some say Paran, some say Maon. It's around the same area. It's near Midian, and it's south of the desert of Zin. In fact, if you want to think of it, there's the Dead Sea. South of the Dead Sea is the, de is the desert of Zin. South of that is the desert of Maon or the desert of Paran. Depending on the language and maybe the region you came from, it had different names. But you see that David moves from a relatively close, prosperous area on the border near the Philistines, and he moves into the desert. He moves far away from any provision, but he puts time and distance between himself and Saul. You see, Samuel's not there. Samuel is no longer able to stop Saul from coming through. In fact, the only thing that maybe would stop Saul from coming through is that Saul's capital 
would move south through Ramah in order to get to this desert. So, in a way, David is still trying to put Samuel between himself and Saul. But just as David runs away from trouble, trouble finds him again. You see, David here at the beginning actually acts as a very wise, generous, and wonderful person. He sends his men out, and any time that Nabal's men would come anywhere near David's men, they were at home. They were at peace. Nabal's own men actually says, they were a wall around us. We, are, we were safe. There's, there were no problems. So David sends a delegation to Nabal. Nabal, a very wealthy man, we know he has thousands of goats and thousands of sheep, and that it's sheep shearing time. This is a time of festivities. This is a time of wonders and parties. This is the time of plenty. This is harvest time for the sheep shearer. And so David sends his men, sends an envoy, ten men, and says, we know we are coming during a festive time. We asked if you could provide provisions for us. We've guarded your men. We have safeguarded even their belongings when they were near us. And we greet you. And look at this greeting in verse 6. Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. There is no ill will there. He is not coming merely to push his way in, to say, okay, I've done this for you, now you owe me. He says, no, I greet you. I greet you favorably. It's sheep shearing time. So I came during a time where there is plenty, where there is plenty of of food and wine and meat, that there is a party going on, and, you know, we protected you, and so the bill is due. We ask for provision. Now, this is something that we're not quite accustomed to in our culture today, but think of it this way. David was a security service. He provided a secure place for Nabal to graze his sheep, for his men to be. And in that protection, in that security, Nabal's business flourished. And so David says, we've offered you a service. We were able to protect your men. We were able to make sure that you were secure no matter where you were, either by animals or even by our own men, making sure that nothing was stolen, that nothing was lost. And so we ask that our compensation be made. We ask for some food. We ask for provisions. He even says, we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. He doesn't make demands. He says, we ask for what you can spare. He doesn't bring a bill and say, Okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to give us this, you're going to give us this, and you're going to give us this. That's going to be your protection money, and now we can keep protecting you instead of 
protecting you from us. No, David says, just give us what you can spare. It's also interesting that these men come in the name of David. They're doing this officially. David is well known. David is one who, I'm sure the stories have gotten around. Not only of his anointing, but his interactions with Saul. Uh, His wonderful victory over the giant Goliath. I'm sure those stories have gone far and wide at this time. And yet... David's request is met with revilement. Nabal's rebuff to his men just throws everything out of whack. Nabal, who later on we do realize his name does mean fool, acts in a very foolish manner. He says, who are you? Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Now, notice David's men didn't say son of Jesse. So Nabal knew exactly who David was. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. The first words out of Nabal's mouth is, who do you think you are? You're not coming in the name of the king. You didn't offer protection as part of the army. After all, you're coming in the name of David, not in the name of Saul. Masters and servants, men are breaking away. This is Nabal slighting David in every possible manner. David, who has kindly, graciously protected Nabal's men, now receives a backhand from Nabal himself. He denies that David has any authority whatsoever. And he denies any relation that these men even have to David. He goes, and give it to men who come from who knows where. Every excuse he can possibly make. In fact, when we see later on the servant that talks to uh, Abigail in verses 16 and 17, specifically... He says he's such a wicked man that no one can talk to. And some of them, in, uh, in some of our uh, translations, the words here are, he's drunk and no one can reason with him. In fact, Abigail doesn't even tell him what's going on until the next day when he's sober. He says, who are these men? Why should I take my bread and my water? the substance that I have to survive on. Why should I give that to these men? Why should I even give David the things that I need to live off of so much and I give them to men from who knows where? Every possible excuse he makes. Well, Nabal, somebody's got to foot the bill. If you're not going to do it, well, payment's coming due. The men turn around and go back. When they arrive, they report every single word. 
They don't mince words with David. They are trusted. They are emissaries. They are a delegation that was sent to Nabal, a very rich man who they had been protecting for so long. And instead of, yes, here is what he has provided, or, well, actually, he gave us a little bit, but it wasn't really a much. Here's what's left over. No, they report every single word that Nabal has said. The insult to David's heritage, the insult to David's anointing, the insult to David's breaking off from Saul and the lack of authority and the political system that he has. No, this is one slight too far for David. David's notoriously short fuse is on display once again. He snaps. He says, put on your swords. This isn't David going, okay, I'm going to go myself. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to reason with him. I'm going to come myself because if I come myself before I sent a delegation, now I'm going to come myself. If I come myself, he'll see reason. No, he's already insulted David. He's already insulted David's family. He's already insulted everyone even connected to him. David does not do as the Lord requires. In fact, this is not a Matthew 5, 38 and 39 moment where he turns the other cheek. This is David getting slapped on one cheek and drawing the sword. Instead of exchanging insult for good, he exchanges insult for iron. Another interesting thing, and a commentator made me aware of this. If you look at chapter 24 and chapter 25, two stories right next to each other, David doesn't see Nabal even as an equal here. Notice how he has a dealing with Saul. Saul is God's anointed one. Saul is the one that... Uh, God has placed above his people, and so David talks to him. David spares his life. Who am I to, put, to raise my hand against God's anointed? But here in this passage, David snaps. He raises his hand and then some against Nabal, a rich man, but not politically rich. Someone who he sees as maybe beneath him. A servant, a person of the land. David may have even seen himself a little bit as that worthless shepherd boy before the anointing given by Samuel. You see, Saul, he treats with God's kindness, but Nabal, he attempts to wipe out without prejudice. Nabal, you've gone too far. You are finished. And it shall be by my hand. Notice that David's servants aren't the only one that's reporting to somebody. You see, the servants of Nabal go to his wife. Our passage earlier says that She's a beautiful woman. She's intelligent. 
She knows what's going on and she knows how to deal with her household. In fact, the, this passage here frames her in such a way that she is a perfect example of a Psalm 31 woman of great virtue. Sorry, Proverbs 31, woman of great virtue. Abigail here acts in such a manner that she is looking to protect her household. She wants to make sure that David is appeased. And so she hears this story. She even is given more details by the servant that David sent messengers But these men did this. They protected us. They gave us provision. They were wonderful out in the field. But then they also report what Nabal said. And the words here are interesting. The words that this servant used, it says, Now, think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master. He rightly discerns the situation and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to. The word here is translated sometimes as a son of Belial. Now, that's a weird kind of phrase to it. Um, Other versions, later versions, have translated it worthless or rebellious, or lawless. This same type of word is used, actually, when the, when the Greek New Testament was retranslated back into the Hebrew. Um, the same types of words are used, actually, by Paul in 2 Thessalonians to describe the Antichrist as a man of lawlessness. So we see that this man of lawlessness, Nabal, is not acting rationally. This worthless man, this fool does not act in accordance with what's going on. Abigail sees the problem. She acts rationally and is very quick to respond. Our, our, the NIV translation says, Abigail lost no time. Uh, other translations put it as, she acted quickly. She didn't stop. She didn't stutter. She didn't do anything that, okay, well, you know, maybe I should go ask or maybe I should... I I should work on this or work on that. And you know what? I'm going to finish what I'm working on now and then we'll go. No. She stops everything. She loses no time. She grabs everything that she has at hand. In fact, she takes 200 loaves of bread. She doesn't bake 200 loaves of bread. She just takes them. We know that this was a sheep shearing time. This was a a man who had plenty. A thousand goats, 3,000 sheep. Plenty of bread for shearers and workers, shepherds, goats herdsmen. All these men coming together for a party for sheep shearing time. And so she says, you know what? I know this is going to make more work for me, but survival is important. So she takes these things, 200 loaves of bread, five dressed sheep, five says of flour, probably around a bushel uh, of flour, of ro- or sorry, of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, two hundred cakes of pressed figs. Now, um, boys and girls, when it says cakes here, it doesn't mean like it was a, a fig cake or a raisin cake. Uh, back then, uh, in order to preserve food, you put things 
in cakes, little round, flat, almost like a hockey puck kind of thing, and you press them together so that even if the stuff started going bad on the outside, the stuff in the middle was still good. Um, you'll see these things, ask your mom and dad um, if they've ever heard of cake yeast. Same thing, there's an outer layer of protection, but then there's an inner layer of very good. Um, cheeses are actually pre uh, preserved in the same way. There's a rind on the outside, and the cheese is in the middle. So when, he gra when Abigail grabs all these things, she's grabbing some of the best. She's grabbing what she can get her hands on. She knows that she needs to work on this quickly. And then she says to her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. Now, some commentators want to say she was praying first. Some said that she wanted to make sure that Nabal wasn't going to pay attention to this. Um, we simply don't know why she held back. What we do know, however, is that when she's sending this forward, one potential thing she could be thinking of is, you know what, maybe if he sees this, David will see all the food and everything, and he'll change his mind. David will see this delegation, this, this group that's bringing all this bread, and you know what, if I go a little bit behind, if David's still angry, if David is, is acting in an irrational manner, maybe he'll just kill the servants and take it because he realizes it belongs to Nabal. If he's acting in a rational manner, I can come up alongside, I can talk to him. We don't really know why she did that, but that is definitely one way. She does so, however, behind Nabal's back. She does this without telling her husband. Commentators are divided whether this was a bad or a good thing. Some of them see this as a good thing, saying that, well, <laughs> Nabal was unreasonable. If she would have told him, maybe she would have been next. Maybe she would have been kicked out of the house or beaten or killed or something. We don't know. Nabal was definitely not acting in a rational manner, and we know he was drunk. While others say that, no, this was a good thing. Nabal is foolish. He's irrational. We don't know that he would have taken this in a good manner, and so she's doing that to protect her family. She is, in, she is embodying the sixth commandment. She is protecting her family, making sure that the preservation is done in such a way that no one is to be killed. I tend to go with the latter. She still works for the good of her household, even in secret. However, the fact that Abigail was able to gather so much food so quickly not only shows how wealthy Nabal was, but if this much food was on hand, it makes Nabal's ungenerous reply to David all the worse. Nabal had this on hand. Nabal had this so that Abigail could grab it quickly. And yet he turns David's delegation away with nothing. So Abigail loses no time. She rides her donkey into a mountain ravine where David and his men were descending toward her. So they're meeting in a valley. 
This is not done in the open. This is not done on the plains. This is not done where maybe she could miss David. She takes a route that she knows David has to take. She meets him head on. And she has the posture of a servant. She gets off her donkey. She bows with her face to the ground before David and says, Lord, my Lord, let the blame be on me. She takes this personally. She doesn't say, Lord, I I didn't see you. Here's your stuff. She says, Lord, hear what your servant has to say. She says, let the blame be on me alone. She says, pay no attention to Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool. And so he's acting in a foolish way and folly goes with him. But I didn't see your men. I would have acted in a different manner. I would have acted intelligently. Lord, my Lord, we know that you have done great things for us. And so here you are. She acts in a way where she is using a gentle word. And that gentle word turns away David's wrath. The anger of David is broken. There is a breath, a balance. There is wisdom to this woman that is shocking to many. The words she used, the way she puts things is so wonderful. David, who came down fuming, so angry that he says, That may God deal with David, some say David's enemies, but most say, may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one male of all who belong to him alive. He is threatening a massacre. He is saying, I am so angry, they're all going to die. And he just said this. He is gathering ammunition so that when the conflict happens, he is seeing nothing but red and he can follow through with what he is determined to do. And yet all of that anger, the red in his eyes, the stealing oneself for battle, is gone. Abigail says, don't worry about him. As surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you, my Lord, be like Nabal. May they be a fool. May they be foolish. My Lord, you don't have to do the bloodshed. You've been appeased. I am here to forgive or to to apologize for the wrong that has been done. She even says in verse 28, please forgive your servant's presumption. (laughs) 
In our Bible here, it says, please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty. I love that word, though, in the, in the, the modern NIV translation where it says, please forgive your servant's presumption. She says, I know I'm presuming a lot by saying you're not going to kill us. I, I know that you've been steeled against this for so long. But Lord, my Lord, David, forgive my presumption, but the Lord's going to make you a, a lasting dynasty. You fight the Lord's battles. No wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. She degradates Nabal and raises David. She reminds David of what he's done. The victories that he has had. The victories that he's had, not only in himself, but the victories he's had fighting the Philistines. The victories and even the forgiveness he's offered to Saul. The way that he has been protected and provided for by the Lord. He says... And she, well, she says, Abigail says here, When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. In our text this morning it says, When the Lord has given you success. Remember me. In that, you almost hear the pain of Abigail. Abigail, this wonderful, intelligent, amazing woman, is married to this man that made David so angry that he snapped, that he said, strap on your sword, we're going to go on a massacre. Abigail here says, remember your servant. I love that she puts it this way in the, in the modern NIV translation, the one that was redone in 2015. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him rule over, over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. You see, even in the words here, God uses Abigail to say, David, do you remember my law? Do you remember what I spoke? Do you remember who I am? Abigail comes to David even though she is suffering, and says, our stations in life have been given by God. When you are made a ruler over Israel, when your anointing comes to fulfillment, comes to fruition, and Saul is gone, and you are now king, first of all, remember who gave you that. But also remember the people under you. Remember me. In verse 32, we don't see the David that is angry anymore. 
We don't see the David who is on the verge of committing an atrocity. We don't see warlord David coming in to conquer by force. No, in fact, David's repentance, the breath that is made. David says to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to me. He rightly traces the origin of Abigail's soothing words to the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He says it's, it's not just God, but God works through people, and he's worked through you. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. You see, instead of the sword, Nabal, believe it or not, receives redemption through Abigail and preservation. You see, rather than the taste of David's vengeance... David needed to be reminded that God says it is mine to avenge and I will repay. In due time their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. It's from Deuteronomy 32. You see, David sees his grave sin and anger here and repents. He thanks Abigail for her wise actions. He blesses her says, praise be to God. Go home in peace. I have heard your words. I've granted your request. You see, the soothing word of Abigail turns away the wrath of David. God takes care of both David and Abigail in this passage. David is prevented from having a massacre on his record. Notice Abigail's words. When you become king, is everybody going to remember you as, this is the king we can't cross? Because, remember, if you make him angry, he's the one who killed Nabal and all his family. David, the murderer, rather than David, the man after God's own heart. Rather than David, the psalmist, it's David, the sword wielder. You see, God providentially takes care of David in this passage by preventing him from doing something that he very much wanted to do, but it would have stained his life. And he never would have been able to get out from under it. Another interesting thing here is that God preserves Abigail. She is providentially taken care of. You might be thinking, well, of course she's taken care of. She's married to Nabal, and even though he's a jerk, you know, he's wealthy. Well, yes, but... 
Abigail's kind words, the intelligence that she has, the beauty that she has, she uses them all to preserve or as, as an appeasement to David. And those are definitely gifts from God. But we see something here that is completely out of her hands. Abigail knows that she can't hide this from Nabal. Abigail knows that she's in this with Nabal. This is my husband. I am his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So he needs to know. So Abigail goes to Nabal when he's in the house, when he's sober the next morning, and says, this is what I had to do. The passage here says, Nabal's heart failed him and he became like a stone. Many people have tried to say the shock of the loss of all these things put him into uh, almost a comatose-like state. Some people want to say that, well, you know, maybe his liver had so much scoliosis to it or maybe his heart was fatty and when she says this, the shock of that just kind of made him keel over, but what do we see here in our passage? Nabal lives for 10 days after he goes into this comatose, stone-like state. And the Lord strikes Nabal and he dies. God reiterates what he says in Deuteronomy. In due time their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He is my anointed one. Abigail is no longer married to Nabal. The fool of a man that almost got her killed. The one who is more concerned with wine and with dancing and festivities than even protecting his own household. The worthless man, the son of perdition, is gone. Well, that brings a whole bunch of new problems. Remember, Abigail lives in a state where the patriarchy is there. She needs a relative. Uh, there's no son mentioned here. There's no heir. It's just Abigail. Maybe there are servants that are faithful to her. Maybe when Nabal dies, maybe they say, well, these are our sheep and our goats now. We don't know. What we do know is that when David hears that Nabal is dead, he says, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He knows that this is a punishment given to Nabal by God. And he's brought his own wrongdoing down on his own head. You see, when that happens, David says, there is still this intelligent, wonderful woman who just two weeks ago prevented me from massacre, prevented me from dooming who I am 
and now she's alone. And so she and so he marries her. David who would become king of Israel now has a new wife. But we're also told David's eyes wander. He marries another one, an Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. Now, there's a reason why, even in the, quali- the qualifications for office bearers, they are called to be one-woman men. Because eyes that wander are not eyes that look to the Lord. David has eyes that wander. And so we don't hear much about Abigail after this. But what we do know is that Abigail is still taken care of by God. It may not be in the way that makes everything all nice and neat. It may not be this wonderful end of the story and the conclusion that we want to see. But God uses what happens in this world in a providential way. So that even when things look bleak, even when there are problems that happen, even when you're insulted to the point where you're just angry and you can see nothing else, God is still taking care of you. He sends wise counselors. And when the wise counselor is left in such a state that there is nothing to be gained, yes, he even rescues you from those circumstances. You see, today, in a world beset with chaos, in a world where everything is so messy, when, when friends desert you or when business deals fall through, when work doesn't go well, when coworkers are are snickering or speaking behind your back, when even family members who we've been in quarantine for a long time, maybe even your family members are getting on your nerves, God is still there for you. There is still a providential care there. For David, it was payment for his work calm word that turned away his wrath and a new wife that he could become one flesh with. For Abigail, in a situation where she's married to a fool, where she has to run a household and has to do so behind the back of her own husband, where she is looked upon not as something to be praised, but Well, just that woman who cooks, maybe keeps things afloat, refills the wine glass. She's now a queen, married to a king who would be her, who would be known as not David, the one who massacred Nabal and his family, but David, the man after God's own heart. David, the ancestor whose son would save the world. You see, 
we can't see the end of the story. We don't know what all this is going to lead to. We don't know even what COVID-19 is going to do to the world. And yes, there is trials and struggles today. People will get on your nerves and people will say things here and there. Which is why hearing from the Lord, even in unordinary means, reading your Bible, listening to what your kids are saying or your husband or your wife is saying, listening to your friends that you have, reaching out to trusted and wise advisors on certain things. Sometimes those calm words can stop you from brash action. And instead of being known for those brash actions, you are known as one who is following after the Lord's own heart. We are called in this world to live as Christians. To have the name of Christ upon us. And you see, one thing we can look at from this story today, from what God has done through his servants David and Abigail, is that no matter the circumstance, God will still provide. It may not be in a way we're expecting. We may know not how the story ends, but we know what God has done in the past. We know how he guides us for the future. And we know that one day he is coming again with glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom shall have no end. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we look at our passage today, We need to realize that we need not be like the son of perdition. Rather, we need to be willing and able to take the providential care of God, even in our frustration, even in our worldly persecution, and say, Amen, Lord. Praise your name. Let it be and let it be. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, as we look to your grace and your truth, we ask that you would be with us. We ask that you would guide us and protect us in this chaotic time of COVID-19. We ask that you would be with your church throughout the world, that your people, both near and far, here in South Holland and in the south suburbs of Chicago, across the state of Illinois, across the Midwest, across the United States, from continent to continent, from time to time. Lord, be with your people. Give them strength and give them hope. Protect them, providentially care for them. May your face turn upon them and give them peace. Lord, this we ask in the name of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a blessed morning and a restful Sabbath.